Welcome to the Tradfest podcast, brought to you by the Temple Bar Company. Hello from Temple Bar, Dublin.
You're very welcome to For Folk's Sake, our podcast brought to you by the Temple Bar Company and Falcha Ireland. That opening track there was Colleen Jas Cruyte Namo, a beautiful version of that old air. It's on a CD called Sweet by Cal Scott and our guest for today's podcast and next week's edition too. He has quite a story to tell. That's Kevin Burke and I'm delighted that Kevin is joining us all the way from Portland in Oregon. Kevin. I'm assuming you're there. Yes, here I am, Kieran. How are you doing? I'm doing great, actually, and I'm delighted. And thanks a million for joining us on the podcast. I, I suppose we, we'll get down to it. I, I'm curious about your background in traditional music. You came to, I suppose, prominence nationally here in Ireland in the 70s when this great announcement was made that you were joining the Bothy Band. So then everybody knew about Kevin Burke. But where, where had you come from previous to that? Well, I grew up in London, um, and my parents were both Sligo people who loved traditional music. Uh, they didn't play themselves, so they they sent me off to fiddle lessons. Um, they didn't know anyone who was uh, either willing or able to uh, teach me the traditional music. So they, they sent me to this classical teacher, thinking she could teach me about the instrument, and I could learn about the music from hanging out with them and their friends. And that's more or less how it happened, you know. And luckily enough, the classical teacher, even though she was very old, at least when I was a child, I thought she was very old. Considering the age I am now, I might have to <laughs> rephrase my definition of old. <laughs> but um, even though she was from another era, we'll say, uh, very British background, classical background. She was very open-minded when it came to music and really encouraged me with the traditional music and uh, didn't object to it at all like a lot of classical people might have done back then. Uh, and even the rock and roll and the pop music of the day, she thought it was great that the kids were making their own music and not uh, uh, relying on what had gone before exclusively, you know? Mm. So that was a kind of an unusual attitude for uh, a woman in her position and her background. And, of course, I didn't really appreciate it at the time. It's only looking back I realised what a stroke of luck that was, you know. But then from the Irish... My parents had no interest in classical music, really, other than that it was part of my musical education, you know. Um, Do you remember that woman's name? Yeah, her name was Jessie Christofferson. It's interesting you should say that about her attitude to the music because there was an attitude that if you played classical, uh, playing traditional might ruin you, and vice yeah. versa, in fairness. Vice versa, uh, we've, yeah. We've had, had that from other musicians over the years, that if they were playing traditional, they were kind of, uh, they'd be shunned if they were going for classical lessons. But of course, yeah. if you can exactly. happily marry both, it's a really good prospect. Yeah. And I think I think it's difficult, I think it is difficult to switch from one to the other. But I was learning the two concurrently, you know. And, um, like I started off playing, uh, you know, things like Happy Birthday and, you know, Christmas carols and twinkle nursery rhymes, you know, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. And my parents said, well, could you teach him an Irish tune? And she said, oh, yeah, sure, he's as well playing an Irish tune as whatever she is happy birthday but you'll have to get me a book so the parents sent me down with a book of uh, 
fiddle tunes. Uh, Alan's Irish Fiddler was the name of the book. Sent me down with that. So she taught me a few tunes out of the book. And I was practising away. And, of course, to my parents' ear, uh, it was almost as if the more I practised, the worse it got. <laughs> <laughs> so they said, there's obviously something wrong here. So they brought her up to the house and played her a few records. You know, Paddy Killord and Michael Coleman, Sean McGuire, and, and said, you know, this is the tune that he's playing out of the book. And it sounds the way he does, but... And then they put on a record, this is how we used to sound in it. And, of course, she said, well, what he's playing there isn't what's written in the book. If you get me a book with that written in it, I'll teach him to play like that, you know. So that was a kind of a revelation. I was probably 10 or 11 at the time, and that was a revelation that what you see on the page, in the yes. traditional world at least, doesn't marry up with what you hear when people play these tunes. It was quite inspirational all round, though, both from your teacher oh, yeah. and from your parents. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was lucky, you know. So, you're, so where did you go from there, then? You've obviously learned the rudiments of playing. Did she get her hands on that, those stylistic approaches to traditional music, or did you move on? No, I, I, I stuck with her till I was about 17 or 18. Um doing classical music and exams and stuff. But my parents were bringing me to sessions at a young age and, and Kayleys, you know, and different musicians were coming to the house. You know, young people coming over from Ireland. My father was a policeman, so he was looked at as a very respectable guy, you know. So these young people had come over from Ireland and their parents might get in touch with my parents yeah. and say... Our young fella's gone over to London. Could he stay with you for a bit so you can keep him on the straight and narrow? Like, you yeah. know? And he'd he'd set them up with jobs and that, you know. And uh, um, there's a fella you might know. He, he He's a Sligo. He's from my father's village, but he lives in Connemara now, a fella called Liam O'Hara. He stayed with us for a good time, uh, for a good while. He played the fiddle and the flute sang songs. I was probably 10 or 12 at the time. And Tony Smith, Anton McGowan, he spent a while with us uh, a summer when he was a student. And uh, I remember waking up one morning and going into the front room and most of the Liverpool Cayley band was asleep <laughs> in the front room. <laughs> You mentioned arses in the air. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned Liam O'Hara, actually. He, 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 his family... Finally got him to make a CD there about two years ago. Is uh, that right? Yes. Uh, he oh, has a son, Cormac O'Hara, who's a very uh, well-known broadcaster here uh, on RTE Radio. He's a, a current affairs man. But uh, he gave me a copy of the CD. We used it on our, on, on our Cayley House one night. But uh, that's the same Liam O'Hara. So that's a fantastic S connection. Yeah, same Liam O'Hara from Drumore West in County Sligo. Yeah, and went back then to live in Connemara. Yeah, exactly. His wife is from Connemara. Oh, that's, she, that's lovely. She knitted me my first Aaron sweater when she was living in London. Did she? Yeah. <laughs> I got a lot of information here, Kevin, that I hadn't expected. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, so well, then, we can we can hang up now. So, <laughs> oh, no, I said I'm getting a lot. I haven't at all got yet. Uh, you mentioned so that uh, the likes of Tony Smith, then and Liam, and all these people, the Liverpool Kelly band. So did you then? Did you play a few tunes with them, or did you kind of broaden your 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 music uh, with by playing with people like that? Yeah, um, the London scene was quite strong at the time. Um, and because my father was a cop, he could bring me into sessions and no one would complain <laughs> about having this underage kid in there, you know. And I'd be sitting in a corner. And sometimes I'd play and sometimes I wouldn't. But again, usually they were very encouraging, you know. Uh, people like Jimmy Power and Lucy Fowle, Raymond Rowland, Roger Sherlock. You know, they, you probably, you know all those people, mm-hmm. you know. They were all fixtures in the London City. Paddy Taylor was another one. Um, Brendan McGlinchey. Uh, there was a lot of great musicians. Uh, Bobby Casey, of course. And I'd typically sit in with those guys and I'd be, you know, it was very much a boy amongst men, you know, and women, um, adults. Uh, so I felt a little intimidated. You know, at the time... There weren't there weren't many kids that I knew playing Irish music. It was all older people, you know, people of my parents' generation. Um, what years are you talking ten, about there, Kevin? In the sixties. Like I was born in nineteen fifty, so I started playing probably fifty seven or eight, and then sixty one or two. You know, when mm. I was eleven or twelve, I was going out to the different pubs. Some some pubs were a bit more friendly for a child than others you know um i remember um there was a pub in peckham uh run by a, a fella who was also from Dromore west um and that was fairly near where we lived you know and then there were the coltus evenings there was uh, uh, an organization called gossner gale in victoria that would have dances so i would go to those places and then when i was a little bit older I went to the um, to Fulham Broadway a lot, the White Hart and the King's Head, and there were two pubs facing each other, and uh, I, Ro- uh, Raymond Rowland and Liam Farrell were kind of fixtures in the White Hart, and in the King's Head it was uh, mainly Paddy Malin and John O'Shea and Brynham Lynchy. so we kind of hopped back and forth from one pub to the other. And then Sean Maguire showed up. And uh, I remember John Bull came over from Offaly and he was playing there. And he, he also started a session in a, in a third pub across, you know, like the three pubs were looking at each other from oh. in a triangular way, a pub called The Swan. Um, so on a Sunday morning or a Saturday night, you'd have three sessions to choose from. Uh, all in the same junction in Fulham, you know. It's an incredible and, list of names that you mentioned there, isn't it? That you had access to all these people as a young lad. How, yeah. how were they receptive to you? Oh, very much so, very much so. Um, and they, and I mean, they were very receptive, but at the same time, very little, if any, compromise. You know, like they might, they might say, um, sure. So what, Kevin, what, what should we play? You know? And I'd say, God, I don't know. And I said, oh, well, you know, pick a tune. 
And, you know, obviously, I'd pick something that I knew, you know, the mountain road or the Sligo Man. So then they'd, they'd say, oh, yeah, sure, we, we can play that. That'd be great. And we'd do such and such a thing after it. And then they'd be off. Yeah. And I'd, I'd join in if I could. <laughs> if I couldn't, I'd just kind of scratch along and pick up a few notes here and there and maybe uh, try and remember the name of the tune. So next time... I'd be aware that if I ask them for the mountain road, they're going to play this one after it, probably. So I better better get that together for next time. You know that kind of thing. That was a fantastic education in Irish traditional oh, yeah. music. Now, oh, they, most of those people you mentioned there, they probably would have they wouldn't have gone wouldn't have had the same background that's a classical training that you had. Well, not at all. No, but what all. what would they have made of, of your let's say discipline in your playing? Um, that's a that's a question that I, has me thought. I never, I, in my own head, I never separated a, this, the two musics, mm. as having a different discipline. Different techniques would come into play, but in my mind, they were both music disciplines. You know that I had, that I was learning. Um, and you know, a lot, a lot of those players, uh, they might not take themselves very seriously, but most of them took the music pretty seriously. Yeah. So, in a way, they had a very disciplined approach themselves. And again, as a boy, some of these fellas I found a bit intimidating, and there was no, <laughs> there was lots of messing around until we played a tune. There was no messing around playing the tune, you know, and a lot of them, a lot of them would tell me, you know, uh, when when you get to the when you get to the high part of that, it's not the same twice, you know. The second most people play the second part, they go up there in the middle instead of going down like they did the first time round, you know, and they'd sh- they'd kind of show me little bits and pieces like that, but not much. Yeah. They just mention it, you know. Like I remember, I remember playing. Martin McMahon was visiting one day, and as well as being a great accordion player, he's a lovely fiddle player as Ooh. well. And he played a tune, and I said, "Oh, I know that tune, but when I play it, it doesn't sound like that." And I played the tune for him, and he says, "Well, you're not putting in any rolls." And I said, "How do you mean?" He says, "You need to put in a few rolls." And I says, what's a roll? And he took the fiddle off me and he played maybe three or four notes and put a roll on one or two of them and then handed me back the fiddle and says, you know, something like that. <laughs> and I was thinking, boy, <laughs> what, what happened there? <laughs> so it took me a week or two, or I, 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 it felt like a week or two anyway. Uh, and I just... I just kind of hurled my fingers at the strings to see what had happened, and and then one day it was like, oh yeah, that sounded like, that sounded like it. What did I do there? And of course, it took me another day or two to work out what I did, <laughs> but eventually I kind of got hold of it. And of course, listening to the the records, uh, you know, the Coleman and Killorn records and Huey Gillespie and all them lads, you know. Uh, and hearing hearing Bobby Casey talking about what he thought of Paddy Killorn or 
how he what tunes he liked that Coleman played, you know, uh, and Roland as well, and all those lads. They'd all in between the yarns and the jokes. They they'd be talking about the music and what impressed them and what they liked and what they'd shy away from and what they liked about this other guy. So I learned an awful lot from those fellas too. You know. It was fantastic access really, wasn't it, to have that oh, yeah. number of musicians uh, and players and you know, stalwarts of the tradition and just to, to have that access to them for a young fellow well, developing I, his music. I often thought there's probably... I, I probably had more access to more traditional music than a kid growing up in Ireland at that time, you know. It's quite like, And it was all in London. It was all pretty condensed, you know. And it was all all styles, you know. There was lads from Sligo and, you know, Julia Clifford was there playing Harry Music and and uh, Con Curtin, um, Brendan McGlinchey and Sean Maguire, you know, playing the more northern style, lots of Clare players, lots of Sligo players, um, Tommy and Eddie Corcoran, great uh, flute players from Gurchin, two brothers, Tommy and Ted McGowan, two fiddle players. So, you know, I was hearing Sligo music from them. I'd hear, you know, the next night I'd be listening to Bobby Casey and Paddy Taylor playing, maybe. And they'd be playing the self-same tunes. And then mm. I realised, well, yeah, because Paddy's from Limerick and and Bobby's from Clare. They have a different... Like, when you talk, you have a different accent. When they play the same tune, they have a different accent. You know? That's fantastic. And, um, uh, sadly, of course, uh, Brendan McGlinchey passed away this year. He did, yeah. And, and, you know, ten years later, there were lots of kids playing. Yeah. Thanks mainly to Brendan McGlinchey who just passed away also. Uh, another absolute giant of the tradition. Yeah. And I was talking to John Carty recently about him. Yeah, I knew Brendan myself. He was just an inspirational figure. Now, he was he was, a, he was like a chieftain. He was a leader. Yeah, oh, very much so. And yeah. so many See, young people that came through and developed at his hands. He actually, he introduced people. That's what he did. Yeah. He brought over bands. I suppose you remember this yourself. He brought bands over to, over to, to yeah. London like in the 70s, that, uh, you know, it wasn't certainly profitable for him to be doing that, but he did it and he was kind of giving access to the younger yeah, uh, generation, exactly. to these bands that were playing traditional music in Ireland. Yeah. See, when when I was 12, uh, there, wasn't, there wasn't a Brendan equivalent that I was aware of. When I was 22, there was, you know. Now... When I was 12, there were lots of dancers. There, were, there was Irish dancing, uh, lots of different teachers. There was a fellow called Kavanagh, a guy called Smith, a fellow called Terry Bowler. So the, the Irish dancing was really strong, and the, you know, the schools of Irish dancing. But there was nothing similar for the, for the music that I was aware of anyway. Well, Until Brendan came along, you know. Yeah, he had him. They were God, when you had access to sort of Martin McMahon and Sean Maguire and John Bow and McGlinchey and Brendan, well, not Brendan, that was out, Bobby Casey, Lucy Farr, Paddy Taylor, Julia Clifford, you know, it wasn't a bad education in itself. Oh, no, it was, it was great. 
Marcin Burns was another one. Um, and you know the the names I'm picking out are, are the names I'm the names I I presume that you know and most other people mm. would know who follow traditional music. But there were lots of kind of unknown players who were great too. You know they they might. They might be shy, or they, you know, they might play very quietly, or they mightn't have many tunes. But, you know, they had a lovely version of this hornpipe, or they had a great old twist and Lucy Campbell that they got from their uncle back home. You know, mm. uh, so th there were lots of kind of unsung heroes as well, that, um, whose time and music I valued a lot too. You know. You mentioned there that when you kind of reached your early 20s that the likes of Brendan Mulcair uh, came along and inspired there. Did, had you decided at that stage that you wanted to be a professional musician? Uh, not in my early 20s, my mid-20s. Um, in my early 20s, uh, I, was, I, I think I'd be 20, 21. I was asked to go... To Denmark with PJ Crutty right, to play music for a play. Uh, they were doing a, an Irish play and they wanted Irish music. Now the play they were doing was a Brendan Behan play, uh, and they, you know, set in Dublin. So they they didn't really care that you wouldn't when he when the play was written. You probably wouldn't hear much West of Ireland music yeah. in Dublin at the time, but you know, poetic license and all that. <laughs> they they asked us to come and play, and we did. And we did that for six months. And that was my first real professional experience. Um, you know, uh, rehearsal times on a calendar and uh, a pay scale and dates, uh, travel dates. And, uh, you know, it was like... Real, real professional outfit. It was and the National Danish Theatre. Did you have a um, regular job before that? Uh, I had. I worked in the stock exchange. You make a few pounds? <laughs> Actually, I I worked for the stock exchange. <laughs> okay. So we were, we were not allowed to trade. Okay. Uh, so the answer is no. <laughs> okay, fair enough, yeah. <laughs> so that, that was my excuse okay. for back then. But um, you, you could have asked me if if I made a few pounds last year, I'd still have to say no. I'd have to come up with another excuse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, it's really nice to hear you mentioning Peter Crotty there too, another man that's sadly no longer with us, but a, a, oh, an absolute God. beautiful flute player. PJ and a character. And I tramped around together for a long time and when when we got to Denmark um, we we had to play for these for these different actors and they were they were singing these songs you know the bells of hell go ding-a-ling-a-ling -a -ling and you know the, uh, these songs from the B and play and of course, they weren't Irish and they weren't singers, they were actors. So <clears throat> we had to comply with them and it was really difficult. Now, because I had a little bit of a of training, 
uh, it wasn't as difficult for me <laughs> to uh, switch keys and stuff, you know, and switch tempo. And, uh, um, but PJ playing the open hole flute had a real hard time playing in different keys. Mm. So he, he bought himself a keyed flute, you know, like the metal flute, um, so he could get the different accidentals, you know, different sharps and flats and play in different keys. And over the course of the six months, he taught himself how to play that. And it was a, a monumental task, I thought, but he did an amazing job. Um, and I know he found it tough initially, but before long, it was uh, it was a piece of cake for him, you know. There's, there's something I hadn't uh, I hadn't heard before, no, and I knew PJ uh, just before he came back. Actually, met him in London. We were at his going away party from London, actually, oh, and right. uh, then he came back to live in Ireland and made beautiful music here with James yes. Cullen for many years. Exactly. Yeah. So that was your first professional paid gig did you decide then this could be a life for me no i came back and i um i got a job i where was i forget where i was working then and i was i was playing in a couple of you know i was playing in the folk clubs a little bit doing the odd gig but it i didn't i wouldn't have said i was a professional musician i'd probably said i was unemployed you know um, but then I met Arlo Guthrie and a few of his buddies in Milltown Malbay at the whatever they called the Willy Week before it was the Willy Week, uh, the Milltown Festival, I suppose. Um, he he was over there uh, just on a visit. He was playing in England and then a few days off and. Someone said, uh, if you like Irish, there's a bit of a festival in this place. So he, we had to bump into each other and spent a couple of days together. And then a month later, I got a letter saying, if you fancy visiting America, October is a good time where we are in Western Massachusetts. The trees all change color and it's really spectacular. And the weather's usually good that time of the year. And we're making a new record. <laughs> so if you want to play on the record. Uh, so, of course, I, I, I set off and spent a while with our loan and went to Los Angeles, went to Hollywood. And I met a few musicians that have since become pretty famous, you know, a couple of the Eagles, a couple of the Birds, um, Bry Cooder, um, and I watched I watched those guys working in the studio, playing American folk music basically, but it was, you know, they had a slightly different twist on it, from the old twenties and thirties recordings. You know, the the Hank Williams, Jimmy Rogers recordings, the Woody Guthrie recordings, but they did a lot of the same material, but of course electric instruments and putting a bit of rock and roll in it, you know. So I was just wondering, would, would that ever happen in Ireland, you know? When I came back, it did make me think, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to decide, am I going to musician 
for for my life and work at it like those boys do, like those fellas were playing all the time, um, or should I accept the fact that music's going to be a hobby, you know? So I got a job in a record shop, and um, I left the record shop and I got another job uh, as... Um, and uh, funny, I left the record. I got fired from the record shop. <laughs> Slightly um, different, uh, Kevin. You know, <laughs> <laughs> because of music. You know, I was I was going out at night playing gigs, um, and uh, and going to sessions. You know, the White Hart and the places I mentioned already, and and I was sometimes asked to work overtime, uh, stay late. And sometimes I'd say sure, but sometimes I'd say no. Uh, I'm I'm playing music tonight. Can't stay late. Um, and that and that annoyed them eventually. And they said, "Look, you're going to have to choose between music or the record shop." <laughs> so <laughs> it was very easy decision. <laughs> so uh, I then got a job as a kind of an office manager, and I was there for probably six months or a year. And uh, had a row, had a row with the boss. He was completely unjustified. <laughs> That's my story. Uh, he was he was blaming me for stuff that happened before I even started there, and I was so outraged, you know. But I thought I'm not going to leave in a temper, so I went I went and had lunch. And I thought, if I feel the same way when I get back after lunch, I'm going to tell him uh, I'm out, you know. <clears throat> so when I got back after lunch, a message from my mother, which was very rare. So uh, you had a message from your mother? Yeah, calling me at work. You know, I was living at home, you know. I was going to see her every night, but she called me at work during the lunch hour. I missed the call because I was away in the pub probably having a pie and a pint but um it was from christy moa and he was he was leaving planksty and was forming a new band um would i like to join his new band uh but it said it, it'll mean you moving to ireland so i said oh no problem no problem when do you want me tomorrow you know <laughs> <laughs> so i went in and saw the boss told him to clear off and i cleared off and uh Made my way over to Dublin and uh, teamed up with Christy and Jimmy Faulkner and Declan McNeilis, and we became the Christy Moore Band. And uh, I played with Christy for a year or two, and he was great to work with, and you know, great, uh, great experience. And then it was Christy actually introduced me to the Buffy Band. He said, "Have you ever heard of these guys?" I said, "No," and of course I knew some of them already uh, but not as a band <clears throat> so uh i i remember we, christy and i were driving back from a gig in bray and the, and um the body band were playing and the the christy gig finished kind of early so we we made it back to wherever the body band were playing just for the last couple of you know last couple of sets of tunes you know maybe 10 or 15 minutes <clears throat> but I thought, boy, this is really interesting. I, I'm going to have to hear 
more or less. So I remember they had a lunchtime gig in uh, in Trinity College, uh, uh, maybe a week later. So I went down to that gig on my own and, and kind of absorbed the whole thing and was very, uh, very taken with that concept. I'd never seen a band like that before. And then, of course, before long, uh, Donald and Matt got in touch with me and said, uh, you know, Tommy's leaving the band. Uh, but that, no, they said, we've got a few gigs coming up. Tommy can't do them. Can you do them? So I said, well, I'll have to check it out with Christy first. So then I, it was, I think it was four gigs. And then uh, I did the four gigs. And maybe after the second or third gig, they said, you know, Tommy's not coming back. Would you be interested in staying on? So I said, well, again, I'd have to talk to Christy. Um, but, of course, Christy was great. He was saying, you'd be mad not to join him, you know. And also, when it, you know, playing tunes was more my thing than than playing backup to songs. That's what I was doing mostly with Christy, was backing the songs, you know. Um, but, of course, in the Bothy band, it was mainly the, the, the instrumentals, uh, the balance was shifted in favour of the instrumentals, which was more my cup of tea anyway, you know. So uh, I was delighted to get the chance and stuck with that. And then Michal and I, when the Buffy Band wound down, Michal and I moved over here to Portland. Uh, initially, we just came to play a few gigs, you know, but kind of liked the place and the Buffy Band was finishing up. We didn't. We didn't uh, have any pressing need to get back to Ireland, so we thought, well, we'll stay here for a while, see what turns up. And I'm still waiting for something to turn up 40 years later. You had a very fruitful musical relationship, absolutely no doubt about that, with Promenade and that. There's just a couple of things that strikes me about all of this, (coughs) Kevin. You went and you kind of just say, well, yeah, I went over and, and I worked with Arlo Guthrie and I met all these other uh, famous people from the Eagles and the Birds and Roy Cooder and that. And then you come back to Ireland and this uh, incredible band that were playing traditional music like nobody heard before asked you to join that. And you kind of, yeah, yeah, you slipped into that as well. Were you daunted by any of that? Um, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely. Uh you know, in in America, uh, most of what I saw happening was in the studio uh, at a very high level uh, of musicianship and studio craft. And that was all new to me. I'd been in a studio before, but it was, it was basically uh, put up a couple of mic stands, put mics on them, yeah. sit down and play. You know, but uh, watching these guys craft the song and craft the record, that was kind of an education. And I found that, you know, they were talking a language I barely knew, you know, a lot of the time. I didn't know what they were on about. And, of course, for the arrangements, it was all about chords, um, chords and licks and riffs and, you know, again, language that I didn't really understand. Uh with the when I joined the Buffy band, uh, it, I understood the the lingo a lot better, but a lot of the material I didn't know. You know, they were playing tunes that I'm, 
I might play them in a different key or a different version. And, and they were switching from one tune to another. Uh, and, of course, the arrangement, like, it wasn't just we go from the mountain road into the Sligo Main. It's like we go into the mountain road from such such tune, but the fiddle and flute stop <laughs> and the pipes take it until the second B part. And then the fiddle comes in with the bazooki. And then, you know, so there was all that arranging stuff that I uh, had to get my head around, you know. But, of course, like any good arrangement, and, of course, you know, Donald Mihal, uh especially were great at arranging things. And it doesn't matter who you are. If the arrangements are good, they're easy to play. And, you know, it could be Quincy Jones or, you know, any, any great arranger. Nelson Riddle, anyone playing those to this day, like I know, I know musicians that um, have played with uh, Aretha Franklin, we'll say uh, Michael Jackson. As uh, when when they come to town, uh, Tony Bennett, you know, they come to town and they'd have a score and they'd say, "Here's the score," and you know, they think, "God, this is so great to play," and, and then they'd look at it a bit closer and see it was. Quincy Jones arrangement, you know, and it almost plays itself. And a lot, a lot of the Buffy band music, I felt like that, you know, the arrangements are so good. Even though you heard it a thousand times, it was still exciting to play it again tomorrow night, you know. Yeah, it was um, something very special. Certainly, when they came on the scene, there, they just moved it from one point to another place altogether, and probably gave a lot of belief to a lot of musicians as well. Oh yeah, and like the the change was so drastic that it wasn't it wasn't a universally welcomed change. You know, there was a, there was a a lot of people a bit bemused by our treatment of reels and jigs. You know, mm -hmm. and uh, it took a while for it to be approved of universally. I'd say it'd be pretty difficult now, well, maybe not now, maybe people have forgotten now, I don't know, but say 20 years ago, when the Buffy band was still in people's memories strongly, it'd be hard to find someone to say, you know, I, I heard the Buffy band a few times, and I, I don't know what all the fuss was about. You know, I think, I think universally over time, people realised that was a really special group of people. Thank you for listening to the Tradfest podcast. For more information on Tradfest, go to tradfest.ie. Tradfest is brought to you by the Temple Bar Company.